When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, it's going to be a short show. We're going to cut all this shit out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who else is a pain in the ass, Julie? Uh, um, Who isn't? Yeah. Uh, yeah don't Why don't we start in a Well, we've been starting. We've we to cut it off because Julie no, no, came no, no, in and no, just started bad-mouthing famous people. So it's, uh, <laughs> I don't want to cut all off to throw this all out. Uh, hey, Joe, what did you do this weekend? Uh, I went to see this cool play. It's not a play. It's a musical. Well, it's a play. It's a musical. A musical play. It's a play with Don't music. It's a musical play. There is you it uh, that one? That one about the uh, by the love the of singer, love. the singer in the glove. It's about this this <laughs> singer. Yes, famous singer. It's who's very funny. with us. Yeah, and it's very very funny. It's very funny. very clever and really well sung. Uh, yes, uh, it well is. Well acted. Yes, and, it is. Um, I recommend it. It's, and it's, it's got the funniest Tinkerbell gag. I've, I've, uh, that's all I'm going to say. Um, <laughs> and we don't talk about people's work is, mm-hmm. uh, Julian pretends to have listened to our show before then he crashed. Well, we should probably let people know a little should bit. Should we plug a Julian? little bit? Yeah. Um, oh, well, let's talk <laughs> about that. If they don't live here, they can't see the play. Well, that's true. That's so we have to make this. Until horrible. it goes on the road. And they don't know who After I am. It's, well, no, we never say, that's, that's a, we don't like to say the names of the. Plus, there's like the Basque singer, like who's your guest today? <laughs> well, no, have you ever listened to a, it's impossible to, to get a podcast without finding out who Right, exactly. So but like you, they're, they're going to know. Yeah. It's the, but, it's, uh, but that doesn't mean they are aware of his accomplishments. Right, but they can Google them. <laughs> be a lot simpler to just go through just like google the guy look up who's on the show google him and figure out what's going on work. people that want to do this kind of work oh, to listen to this show this is the movies that made me with your hosts josh olson and joe dante This is Julian Nitzberg, mm-hmm. um, who is right now, first and foremost, the creator, uh, writer, director. Yeah. Um, and what do you, and, and co-songwriter? Is that? I wrote the lyrics. Wrote the, the lyrics music, to the song yeah. for, uh, uh, for the love of a glove, which yeah. is a, an amazing, uh, musical that, um, Joe, Joe and I, and, uh, uh, packed house full of other people saw yeah. this weekend and people have been seeing for several weeks and that is showing at, tell us. Quickly, the, the Carl Sagan. The Carl Sagan. Where is it? It's the Carl Sagan and Andrewian Theater. Andrewian is Carl Sagan's uh, widow, who uh. produced all the Cosmos episodes and still produces Cosmos. It's in Echo Park, Los Angeles. If you go to for the love of a glove dot com, you can find tickets and uh, and it's still there and it will still be there for our, a few more weeks. Yeah, we're extending, so it's going to be. Oh, you are great. Yeah, till when? Uh, end of March. Fantastic. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and maybe longer if we keep selling. Great. Yeah, yeah, no, please. It, it is, it is terrific. And folks will enjoy it. And, uh, Julian, um, has done some other things as well. I, yep. I, uh, first crossed my radar with an absolutely amazing doc, which I believe you can get out on uh, Amazon prime. Amazon. Yeah. Uh, called the wild, wonderful whites of West Virginia, which is, um, pulls off the high wire act of <laughs> being, uh, going deep into the lives of these people, uh, in Kentucky. It is screamingly funny. West Virginia. And, 
in what did I say? Kentucky, Kentucky. Kentucky. the wild Jesus. and wonderful whites of West right. Virginia who oh, live yeah, in Kentucky. Oh yeah, that's the first clue. I have Kentucky <laughs> on my mind. People. I was, I apologize. I was talking to a friend in Kentucky this morning about your film, which he, which he loves. This is why Trump's going to um, win. People yeah. like you. Exactly. <laughs> you want to know something crazy? This is insane. I was, I was, um, uh, going to be talking to this guy yeah. in Kentucky yeah. a few days ago. The primaries and, in Idaho just ended. It was a mess. And and I Iowa, Iowa. <laughs> what? Iowa. Yeah. No, Kentucky. <laughs> yeah, anyway, you're, you're confusing the whole me. Thing off. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to, we're making plans to have a brief phone conversation. And I'm like being the fucking idiot. I'm like, wait a minute, Kentucky, is that, is that, which time zone is mm-hmm. that in? And I go, I'll look it up on my, on my iPhone. I'll look, I'll look at the clock, right? Mm-hmm. You have the clock and you go to world clock and you punch in the name of a place. <laughs> and I punched in Kentucky yeah. and nothing came up. <laughs> <laughs> it's absolutely insane it's been so, eliminated you want to know you want to know yeah. why trump is president it's because you can't pull up kentucky <laughs> on your iphone that is why trump is president. Yeah. in any case wild wonderful whites of west virginia it's it's screamingly funny but it's also incredibly powerful uh look at at uh poverty in america and um uh just you know it it, it paints this somehow incredibly bleak and yet at the same time entertaining and hilarious portrait of, uh, this part of the world that, you know, if you're a smug coastal elite assholes, you're just kind of oblivious to outside of the occasional Burt Reynolds comedy. <laughs> um, it's a wonderful film. It is Thank a really you. wonderful. I've been a fan for a long time. And, um, uh, it just, it seemed like a perfect opportunity to bring you in Yeah, since you got a show and you're plugging something and we yeah. are the last place to plug anything since yeah. we don't talk about your work, but, um, and we thought we'd have you in. Okay. Well, so the work relates to, you know, the theme I picked because it. Yes. Tell us about the, your, you have a theme. So the new show is a musical about the life of Michael Jackson as told by his glove, who's an alien from another planet and happens to. Spoiler. Not, yeah. not ruin too much, but, uh, <laughs> but it's also like a very political work. So it's what I did with Wild Whites. I hope, you know, where I mix, you know, really filthy humor with yeah. political commentary so that, you know, you don't give people. The, the annoying, like, and here's the lesson you're going to learn. You're laughing, and then the politics kind of seeps in through the side as opposed to clobbering you. At least that was my intent. So. May I also add, as a connoisseur of puppetry, yes, uh, that this show has some great puppeteering. Uh, sometimes yes. the characters, particularly when they're children, are played by puppets that mm-hmm. are, they're, you know, puppeteered on stage by the people who will then sometimes play them when they're adults. Yeah. Uh, and it's, 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 just a tremendous achievement i think yeah the first act is the jackson five years so all the jackson five are played by puppets when they're kids we didn't want any kids on stage because right. all the humor is filthy yeah and the second <laughs> and the second act is the year thriller is made so and you know obviously um part of the power of michael jackson is he's he gets his power from this alien who looks like a glove and of course he has to put his hand inside the alien which is up his ass and then of course the alien seems to love it a lot. Well, and then and he has to grab his own, grab his own crotch with the alien. With, well, you know, the alien is the one who, right. Cause you know, part of it was trying to reconcile a big part of it is being a Jehovah's witness and what it means. And their religion actually teaches that you turn gay by masturbating. Masturbating can turn you gay. Cause Correct. which everyone knows is true. Cause you get used to a man's hand on your penis and you want <laughs> other man's hands on your penis. And this is really in like Jehovah's Witness, like people think I made this shit up. They're like, you're just ridiculous. But Jerry Miner, who stars in it, was raised Jehovah's Witness. And, you oh, know, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. 
So he's I'm guessing he's tracks. broken with the church. He left when he was 19 or 20. Okay. Yeah. And and the other big part of it is Michael's relationship with Donny Osmond, yeah. who was basically the Osmonds were created as the white, cynically created as a white Jackson Five, while they're members of the Mormon Church, which was the last major white supremacist um, church in America, which did not let black people into their temples till 1979, and taught that all black people had the mark of Cain. Right which eventually is God turned them black as punishment. But when Cain and Jesus returned from the dead, all black people will eventually turn white again. And part of the show is Michael gets revenge on Donny Osmond. And you, yeah, it's amazing how white. you tie all this stuff into the, the story of Michael Jackson that we all know and love. Yeah. Because you are, you're waiting for him to turn white and you're waiting for him to grab his crotch and yeah. you're waiting for all these things to happen. Yeah. You've given it this great context, but... Um, uh, we're gonna have to cut all this because we're talking about his work. Um, <laughs> well, it's going to tie into my favorite. Oh, fine movies. Then. Yeah, fine then. What are yeah. you going to talk about musicals? You're going to talk about a certain type of musical. I mean. Yeah, I'm talking about musicals that deal with politics and or religion, like you know that are political musicals as opposed to musicals that are just fun. And right. um, and you know I, I love all sorts of movies, but I grew up. My mom loved. Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers movies and Marx Brothers movies. So those were kind of the two big influences on my childhood. And then, um, and, uh, and then as I got older, I got into like the weirder stuff. And so I kind of want to talk about the weird things that, you know, now that I have this show open and you guys invited me on the show, it's like, what were the major things that just scarred me and made me right. able to write this? And, um, and which were the musicals that, you know, or, you know, that deal with politics in a, an interesting way. Me, you know, we, we've run into the, uh, it's that Netflix show now, Movies That Made Us, which is an extension of the toy show. And it's, it's Bastards. You know, very fond of our name, but it's a little, but, you know, I think we should have gone with the movies that scarred us. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that might be. Uh... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, well, go. What do you got, man? Well, I'm going to start with some obvious, I'll, I'll go sure. back and forth between obvious and like ones where you, We'll see if we can stump Joe Dante or not. Um, so, you know. Can't be done. What? Can't be done. Really? Okay. I'm stumped already. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and before I go any further, the composers on my musical are Nicole Morier, Drew Erickson, Max Townsley, and Nicole is like your biggest fan. So she was so excited that I was coming on the show. Oh, so great. Um, she couldn't believe it. So, um, but uh, first one, obviously, you know, growing up in New York, you grew up in Philly, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there were certain movies that, every year played at the same time and you'd watch it over and over again and one of them in new york was the producers it's so simple step one we find the worst play in the world a sure fire flop Ring time for step two i raise a million bucks and a lot of little old ladies in the world i love you what i love you what i love you Step three, you go back to work on the books. Only list of backers, one for the government, one for us. Hey, I Step four, we open on Broadway. Step five, we close on Broadway. Step six, we take our menu bus and we fly to Rio de Janeiro. My mom was a Holocaust survivor, and so, you know, all my grandmother's siblings except for one died in concentration camps or died right after and you know i grew up with my aunt hermina who was in auschwitz with the numbers on her arm and and for some reason like the producers was like 
such a revelation as a kid right. and and even as an adult because it just showed you can make fun of the most insane yeah. horrible crimes and still have fun with it and and <laughs> you know and i was thinking about it on the way here and i was thinking about how radical it is because you know i also work as a screenwriter and i think about studio notes and um and I was like, if I tried to write the producers, the first thing they'd be like, now you're not addressing that Max Bialystok is Jewish. And, you know, <laughs> and you're making a, a Jew into a crook who is exactly what the Nazis would say he does. Like a, a Jewish guy who fucks old ladies and steals their money. And it's like, so he can't be Jewish would be like the first studio note. Right. Right? Like, and then if he is Jewish, how does he reconcile him like doing a, a Hitler musical with being Jewish. And does he learn a lesson at the end, which of course he doesn't, you know? <laughs> and, and I just, you know, it made me think of, you know, did you guys ever read mouse? Um, yeah, sure. yeah. The Arts Beagleman. Cause I read that whenever it came out, I think I was in high school. And I remember even with that being like, wait, his dad's a Holocaust survivor, but he's a bad guy also. <laughs> and I'm like, but you can't be a Holocaust survivor, not be a saint, you know? And, you can, but um, you can be an asshole. So, um, and it's not like the Holocaust in Mouse caused him to be an asshole. No, in fact, I mean, I, I the interesting thing about that was that the, the the same character traits that made him an unbearable father are what allowed him to survive. Really. Right. I mean, that's the interesting. You know, that's that's the human thing. Yeah. Which is which is so nice. I don't, Joe. Do you know anything? I feel like uh, the producers history is a bit of a blank spot for me in terms of what they went through to get it made. Cause I can't imagine even then that that was, well, that's not a studio picture. You know, it's, yeah. a, it's a, it was an embassy picture. Okay. So that's, I, I don't know how much Joe Levine had to do with it. Cause he was at the, at that place at the time. Um, but it's, it's like a New York indie. Right. Uh, and there was, a, there was a whole, all, all the cast, the cast and everybody are all New York people. Um, and I think there was, when it first came out, there was, um, <laughs> some talk, <laughs> Uh, about taste, Some you know. <laughs> um, but uh, it, it. I don't. I don't think it played well in the hinterlands. Right. You know. I don't think there was a lot of drive-in use uh, uh -huh. for the producers. But you know, uh, any place where people knew who Zero Mostel was, obviously, was going to be a, a place where you could play this picture. And and Mostel is, as usual, you know, brilliant at it. And yeah. and um, and. It's uh, it, it, cinematically, it's not exactly the most stylish movie ever made because Mel was just starting out doing that. He'd done a couple of uh, shorts. He did a great short called The Critic, which was an animated short. Right, right. Where, uh, which is a guy with a heavy Jewish accent is talking uh, at the screen during a sort of a uh, abstract cartoon. Uh, you know, yeah. saying things like, uh, who made this? The guy makes, could make a shoe. Why would he make this? Mm -hmm. um, and, 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 and he, you know, he had the... the Twelve chairs. He had 12, the 12 chairs was, I think, his first picture. Um, and then he had the, uh, the, the, the Carl Reiner bit with the, uh, the 2,000-year-old man. And so he was, he, was, he was pretty well known as a comic right. on TV. And um, I think that they, it, I think the, the producers took a little time to sink in, you know. Uh, but then the idea of making it into a Broadway play well, obviously that, happened way after yeah, that. Yes. That had to become a cult movie first. Yeah, for decades. But yep. the, but the idea that um, yeah, you're right. I can't I can't imagine that going through a studio system. No, no, no. <laughs> In fact, any era. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just like <laughs> astonishing because 
yeah, they're both just terrible and they end up terrible and they're happy terrible. And yeah. <laughs> and it's like, that's the way the world should be yeah, portrayed because that's how it is. And, but the fact that you can also like take the power away from Nazis by, you know, just mocking them, mocking them and, yeah. but not like doing it and like having a moment where the, like, someone goes, no, no, the Nazis are bad people, you know, like, you know, like so much stuff, you know? So yep. obviously that was, yeah wonderfully scarring in my childhood because i went to all jewish high school or most how old were you when you saw that probably like 13 or 14 and mm. and i just remember every year you know being like oh producers it's gonna be on tv again let's watch it so and singing springtime for hitler at school you know so yeah no that's just pretty revelatory i don't know why i always the first time i saw it too and it always sticks with me i think it was the first time i ever saw william hickey in anything he's such a, oh he's so good in it, such yeah. an interesting presence yeah um he was always 62 you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah in everything yeah he, he never aged but he started aged yeah yeah, yeah. hey there i'm dylan lewis one of the hosts of motley full money each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. So, all right. Uh, shall we go for a more sure. obscure one? Mm. Okay, here's go deep, man. Uh, okay, I won't go too deep yet, but um, <laughs> the monkeys movie head. Not since the Ten Commandments. If you liked covered wagon. Beyond from here to eternity. Can't be the Marx Brothers. They're too young. Columbia Pictures presents the Monkees: Mickey, Davy, Mike, Peter in Head. That's right, Head. I saw probably 16 years old on acid at the Thalia Cinema in New York, and um, so you were the target demographic. It was. <laughs> it was. It was so great. And Doctor, it was a double feature with Doctor Strangelove and. Oh, wow. And I remember just being like, man, Dr. Strangelove really sucks compared to Head. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like Head just was so multi-layered on acid. And, yeah. and Dr. Strangelove, like, I get the. Um, so um, I also saw at that point um, uh, Risky Business on acid, which is not good at all on acid. Like, <laughs> I would think being. Yeah. I was just like, at the end, I was like, this is a total pro-materialism story. Yeah. I was like, this is awful. I fucking hate this. This is awful. like, I don't know what made me want to see that on acid um <laughs> fantasia was the first time i took acid well that's the obvious yeah and but we we did do 2001 but uh, we didn't it was the first time doing acid no one had told us that it takes about two hours to hit so like 10 of my friends go in we all take the acid and we're just like waiting <laughs> and we're just like nothing's happening and now the nothing. movie's over and then the movie's <laughs> over and we're like well, LSD is a stupid drug. It certainly doesn't affect you at all. And we literally walk out of the theater. And as we all said, it does affect us. It just kicked in. And we're like, fuck. Yeah. yeah. Watch the movie again. Yeah. We missed the movie. Like, like, we just kept seeing the movie. We're like, this is really not a trippy movie at all. Um, but Head was 
like it was pretty much like a rush into like Buddhism, like all the principles of Buddhism on acid came through in head. And I like made all the revelations that you'd have to spend like 10 years in an ashram making. And, <laughs> uh, like, I was just like, okay, this is all about like, the, you know, the, the stupidity of materialism and how like nothing actually has any meaning. And, um, and then for years I was scared to see it again because I thought it wouldn't be as good again. Right. Because we also, I remember on acid listening to the first Frank Zappa record and being like, this is the greatest record ever. And then a week later, I was just like, let's listen to it again and being like, this record sucks. <laughs> <laughs> and um, a few years later at college, I programmed Head because I was like the person who programmed all the movies at college and went and I was just like, it's still great. Yeah. And, you know, and and its politics are really amazing. Have you guys seen it recently? Do you remember? Well, yeah, I've seen it see? recently. Okay. But in fact, I was just, for some reason, about a month ago, I was looking for it on Blu-ray and you can only get it in the, uh, in the package. In packages of either the, yeah, the... Um, there's a criterion of uh, all the Bert, uh, I don't know what it's got, like Tribe, he said, and, and Last Picture Show and a bunch of others. Or um, uh, you can buy the entirety of the Monkeys TV show and uh -huh. Head comes as a supplement. Oh, that's but there's no way to get it on its own as a Blu-ray, which is frustrating. Uh, but it's been a long time since I've seen it. But yeah, I mean, the editing's incredible. <clears throat> I showed it to my girlfriend a few days ago and, and she was like, and it has the most crazy edit I think, I mean, it's got like what, what I'd say is like Russ Meyer editing. It's just like super fast. Right. And there's this thing where at the very beginning of the movie, they have like different TV screens appearing and they do this mockery of the monkeys theme, but it's like, hey, hey, we're the monkeys, a manufactured product with no philosophy. <laughs> um, it's like, it's kind of exactly the same thing as like the Sex Pistols, Great Rock right. and Roll Swindle. They're saying the same thing, but right. it's much more fucked up. And, um, and, it's cutting to them like from different scenes from the movie and, and it all seems like it's going to be fun. And then it cuts to this image from Vietnam, that, the famous image of the guy shooting the Viet Cong guy on the yeah. street. Right. And, and it's just like, you think you're going to see a monkey. I, I mean, I can't imagine like <laughs> monkeys <laughs> fans <laughs> going there and it's, and you see them, <clears throat> them murder this man on screen. And then it cuts to a woman screaming, a teenage girl screaming in what you think is horror. And she's just screaming. You're like, that was horrible, horrible. And then it zooms out and she's at a monkeys concert <laughs> screaming at the monkeys as they're on stage. And you're just like, oh my God, this is like, they're just saying we're manufactured. Right. And like, you know, the Beatles never did anything that daring. And they were manufactured in Last their own train room. from Da Nang. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you too can be dandruff on uh, Peter, uh, uh, Victor Matur's Victor Matur's head. head, yeah. Victor Matur's that's right. But it has another sequence where there's a Mike Nesmith song and it just, it's girls screaming and it just keeps cutting to like Vietnam footage. And you're just like, whoa, it's, <laughs> it's I don't know. It's, I saw it again a few months ago at the Egyptian with uh, Mike Nesmith. I'll try he should, yeah. And Mickey there. And they left. They didn't watch the movie, apparently. They went to get drunk. <laughs> and they come back and they're like, yeah, this movie, I don't think they'd seen the movie since 1960. 68 or whatever it came out they go yeah this movie was weird like bob rafelson wanted to put this vietnam footage but we didn't let him put it in there and we we're like uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious yeah <laughs> so i think that was one of the you know key movies in my life that's like okay it's great pop music but it's just like it's like makes you laugh and then suddenly it's just like and here's commentary on like war and uh 
and consumerism and all this kind of stuff. And and I just loved it and think it's Bob Rafelson's best movie, which I'm sure he would like to hear. Um, so. <laughs> no, it's great. It's great. Um, yeah, I got to God damn it. Someone's got to put it out on its own. It's making me crazy. It is on YouTube right now if you want to. to, to in HD. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure it's all in HD. But um, um, it's not, not that I don't like the monkeys TV show. Well, what am I a, little, watch a little every, goes along. Yeah, what am I going to watch every episode of the? Well, they're all the same episode. That's yeah. the problem. <laughs> I tried to rewatch the TV show a few years ago, and head holds up, but the TV show doesn't. Yeah. And and the greatest thing is, you know, like I have friends who are boomers, and um, and they just literally like shit their pants and then take the shit out and rub it over their faces. If you mention how great the monkeys are, they're like, no, they're not. No, they're not. No. They're like, no, no, they're ripping off the Beatles. I'm like, all the Beatles were ripping off the Everly brothers. Come on. Like, you know, everyone rips off someone. And, um, and I've had this reaction whenever, like I try and tell certain people over a certain age that, you know, the monkeys are great. And they're just like, no, 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 it's hilarious. Well, they had a lot of good songs. I mean, yeah. voice and voice and heart were really good. And Carol King, yeah. yeah, yeah, like they had basically all. Of the, uh, I was talking to a writer named Dominic Priori, who's like a big '60s writer. He goes, "If you love the Beatles, you have to love all the like girl groups and Brill Building bands that influenced the Beatles." And basically, the Monkees hired all those Brill Building people right. who influenced the Beatles to write songs influenced by the Beatles. So it's just like a perfect yes circle kind of thing where it's just like because yeah it's carol king and all these people and well, so, yeah or like martin scorsese making the departed based on a hong kong film that's an homage to martin scorsese exactly yeah, yeah. <laughs> and i i love the porpoise song in that movie it's just like my favorite psychedelic song and basically i have to get an mri every year and the only way i can calm down before an mri is, is this playing the porpoise, porpoise song, song. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Because I'm like, I'm not going underwater. I'm going kind of underwater into a, a horrible little machine. So, yeah. So, uh, so okay. Well, let's, oh, you want another one? No, we're done. We're done. Okay. <laughs> I, so I grew up obviously loving Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers and then also Gene Kelly. But I kept trying to think like, do any of these movies have politics? And they really are scrubbed for you politics. There's like. Well, that's its own kind of politics. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's weird because all those Fred Astaire, Ginger Roger movies are at the height of the depression and it's just rich people in top hat and white tie and tails. <laughs> well, but that's the, that's the escapism. I mean, that's one of the reasons they were so popular. Right, but who yeah, had, probably. Who had floors like they did? I mean, yeah. those floors are always clean yeah. and shiny. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I mean, I love them, but I'm just like, there was not even like the hint of like any social commentary. Yeah. And, um, and, um, and so, but later... I don't know, probably in college, I discovered, you know, I might have seen 42nd Street in high school, but later I discovered Gold Diggers in 1933. But you said you let us think that... What did I let you think? I told you I had a great show, and I have. It's always the way. I got the show, I got the music, I got the cast, I got the theater, all rearing to go, and it's the old, old story. Money. I'm not kidding. I'll give him the money. He'll have it in his office at half past ten tomorrow morning. Where are you going to get $15,000? We'll make those guys pay for their fun. Right through the checkbook. Underneath your... What do you know about 
about me underneath. Huh? Uh, uh, I mean... Uh... Oh, I know what you mean, yo, sugar. <laughs> you watch out, I'm falling in love with you. <laughs> and oh boy, when love comes at my age. Guess who? Which... I rewatched this week because I just always remembered. Do you remember the, the, the "Remember Your Forgotten Man"? Oh yeah, it's a great number. Oh, is that the the one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and that's Warner Brothers. I mean, they were socially conscious. And in, in, in RKO is, you know, no, let's <laughs> just make whatever they like. Yeah, it's but it's really daring. Like you know, imagine did, did when we had like you know the last economic housing crisis, or even today. Has there been like a major, did La La Land have a major musical number about how, how homelessness is affecting us, right? Or how like people came back from like the Iraq war and ended yeah. up homeless. I mean, it's pretty crazy. And, you know, uh, do you remember this movie? Do you I remember, remember this. Yeah, no, I, I vaguely, but I remember that scene. Yeah. That's... I mean, it's basically about these showgirls who are going broke right. and like can't afford food and they get booked in a show and, um, and um, and basically, it turns out that Dick Powell, who who's written the music, is forced to be in the show and doesn't want to. And they all think it's because he's a bank robber, and they're kind of excited because they no one can figure out how he has the money to pay for the show. And then it turns out he's like this rich Boston scion, and his family comes in, and and there's stuff that's amazing because his brother comes in to to break up the marriage, and he says these these poor people are parasites all they and it's pretty much parasite like like <laughs> they like like they they just want to steal our money and steal our possessions and he's fully like mitt romney and um and um and he's trying he's just boston brahmin trying to break up their marriage and then the rest of the movie is the showgirls which is uh ruby keeler is in love with dick pell but it's um was, why am i spacing on her name joan blondell who's incredible and just has those crazy eyes and she and this other woman decide to swindle these rich guys and and it's anti-rich people pro swindling and then <laughs> um and then at the very end the whole show ends with this number remember you're a forgotten man which is all about homeless broke people and joan blondell sing is dressed like a prostitute mm. and and it's all about you know it's kind of got a lot of brother can you spare a dime to the song but it's it's it like and it just ends there it doesn't like come back to the love story right it doesn't come back to like the happy part it's just like you see all these homeless guys like marching like on sandwich lines and it's like and that's the end of the movie and it's just kind of astonishing again like there were no studio notes saying like let's tie it up and like right. everyone's learned their lesson you know so the rich people are never like i'm sorry i'm mean to poor people you know <laughs> you know they want to fuck the the showgirls of right. course but they so, a lot of yeah, it was making me think. I guess I guess hustlers might have a little bit of of that kind uh -huh. of vibe these days. It's, yeah, um, but but it does it does tie up and it does teach you lessons. And... Yeah, I guess the big thing, and it's one thing that drives me crazy is like I love movies where you don't learn a lesson, where you're just like, "Yep, the world sucks." <laughs> <laughs> and I love surreal stuff like like Head, which yeah. I, I feel is like you know, kind of like a Benoel movie, you know, in terms of it's very similar to like Discreet Charm of the Bourgeoisie or something. It's yeah. just like, goes from entertaining, bizarre setup to entertaining, bizarre setup. But, you know, there's no central thing tying it together. You know, um, I'm, I'm with, yeah, I, I don't like feeling that heavy hand of, of uh, you know, someone's going to tell me something. Yeah. I don't mind if you tell me something. I just prefer not to, you know, 
<laughs> for to walk out and go, hey, wait a minute. Yeah. Ah, uh, you told me something. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. People seem to want that. So it's, or some people do. So, um, all right, I'll go for another obvious one. Um, cabaret. This was Germany in the early 30s. Hello, stranger. Full of life. And love. What's great about it is it's, you know, if you've seen the stage musical, have you guys seen it? Yeah. The, so the stage musical is completely different because all the songs are, the characters break out in song like they do in musicals. And, um, and Fosse said, no, we're not going to have any characters break out in song. All the songs will be on stage. And, and that's what I think made it so interesting at the mm -hmm. time. Cause, and it's weird when I, I went through a big Judy and Liza phase a couple of years ago with my girlfriend, cause her favorite movies anchors away. So we started with that and then we got into the pirate and watching everything again. And, um, and rewatching cabaret, we watched all the bonus features and stuff. And they were like, yeah, it was really hard for Fosse to get to direct Cabaret. They didn't want him to direct it because his previous movie was such a failure, which was Sweet Charity. Sweet Charity, yeah. And so I was like, it was a failure? Mm -hmm. yeah. And I was like, how could it be a failure? It's Fosse. And I rewatched it and I was like, this movie sucks. Really, <laughs> like, like, like the, there's good musical numbers, but I don't know how he got like, you know, such, um, you know, the performances were bad and I've never seen a man love it. It's like, it's literally like you gave him a zoom lens the first day of shooting and he's just like, what's this pop zoom thing I could do? And he pop zooms like on every third shot. And you're like, yeah, we got the, you got a pop zoom. It's great. You know, so, um, they, uh, did you watch Fosse Verdon? I did not. You no, know, they, they, they got into that a bit when, um, him, him scrambling to get another job and cabaret going. It's weird when I, I went to see the, the stage musical recently and it's the, the Liza Minnelli character is much worse person in it. She's a real cocaine addict and, and reading about the real person that Christopher Ishwood based it on, she wasn't a good singer, but apparently she was so just powerful a presence that everyone was obsessed with her have you ever seen the uh, i am a camera version? i actually haven't i read the book when i was a kid uh it's 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 interesting uh -huh. you know? i mean it's not as good as cabaret yeah. but it but it's interesting and, and there, of course there's no songs yeah and then when you listen to the commentary it's great because it's just like it's fuzzy no lies are like talking about it. she's oh. like she's like well daddy told me i needed to because she's always calling vincent Minnelli daddy which like and if you watch a lot of Vincent Minnelli movies, there was ones with DVDs with her commentary, and it'll be literally like, and daddy decided to use the color blue in this movie, and no one had ever used color blue before in a movie. <laughs> like, wow. And, and then like each movie, she'll be like, this is my favorite movie by daddy. And then you watch the next one with the commentary, and she's like, oh, this is my favorite movie by daddy. And Jesus Christ. Yeah, and, and, and daddy told me I needed to look, I needed to look like Louise Brooks. And, um, and you know, so, um, which he did though. Um, so yeah, so I'm going to find some of those. 
Which the the commentaries. The commentary the, uh, yeah. We got them at the Santa Monica Public Library. Um, so, <laughs> like it was just like, oh, we'll watch every one of these. Um, okay, so all right, here's uh, back to surrealism. Um, and pretty pretty much the biggest influence on wild and wonderful whites of West Virginia that wow. no one will ever realize. Um, it's Lindsay Anderson's "Oh Lucky Man," his Remember? sequel to "If." So, I, how does I don't see the line? <laughs> uh, have you seen it? Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. So, um, have, you, do you I've know? Seen it. Yeah, yeah. So basically, I never thought of it as a sequel to "If." I mean, it it's, is. It's not officially. But, well, but it's, it's, it's it's the next one with that character. But yeah, um, they all have the same names, but they're different characters. Yeah, yeah. And I never saw it on acid, but I saw it in high school a lot of times. And um, and it's it's a long movie to run in high school. Why well, I, I I would see it at like you know the Carney Hall Cinema oh, or some like revival. Not not, in, not at the AV. Not not the AV kids with no the no no projectors. No, like starting in. Sixth grade, I discovered, I grew up in the Bronx and I discovered revival theaters mm -hmm. and was just always going to either like, did you live in New York? I live in New Jersey. Okay. Like, I went to New York as often as possible to escape New Jersey. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So it was easy. I was always at either the Bleecker Street Cinema, the Thalia. The New Yorker. The, the New Yorker, I think was before. What, maybe, no, I'm not sure. Carnegie Hall Cinema was the other revival theater. So that I remember going to, but yeah, they would always show lucky man and it's really long but alan price it, you know it, it has a story but every once in a while it cu cuts to alan price who was from the animals yep. and he's doing these amazing songs that are very much like um you know they're they're in the spirit of like the kinks ray davies kinds of political commentary songs and it just cuts to him over and over again just singing songs that comment on the scenes but he's not a character in the story for the first two thirds. And so it's, you know, you have some of that kind of stuff, but it's not like, you know, like in Harold and Maude or like the graduate, you have these songs, but they're not created for the, the movie. So they don't really comment as specifically, but these are really commenting specifically on the scenes. And then, um, and then later in the movie, Malcolm McDowell ends up um, at this recording studio and meets Alan Price and they, they're singing and, it all kind of ties together, and and I, I was obsessed with that movie, and still am. And um, and when I made Wild and Wonderful Whites, I was like, I want to make this into a musical. And um, <laughs> it's a documentary, folks. It's just right. to remind people, yes. And we actually, at one point, we're going to write a musical number for Jesco because Wild and Wonderful Whites, for the people who haven't seen it, is about a multi generational criminal family family from West Virginia in Kentucky, and not Kentucky. <laughs> Who are also tap dancers. So Jesco, the dancing outlaw white, is this guy who tap dances to everything from bluegrass to rock and roll. And um, and so I shot all these sequences of him with Hank Williams III. Mm. Hank Williams wow. III's playing songs and Jesco's tap dancing to it. So whenever and all his songs fit in with the theme of the That's movie, because they're all and we interview him also in right. it, in it. So he comments on the family. He actually had written a song about the white family but then he writes these songs about like taking pills and stuff and and so you've and fighting and you know and um and so whenever yeah. they start talking about taking pills and fighting and you've got them doing that i cut to hank three um playing his song and we just show him singing it with jesco tap dancing to it as yeah. direct commentary 
on what's going on in there. So, um, that's right. That's so funny. I just would never have made the connection, but sure. Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, and there was one more song that was a really dark song that we recorded Hank three singing, but he wouldn't let us put in the movie. Cause it was just like this song about like, you know, he's Hank Williams grandson. And it's a song about him, his grandfather and his dad all being like super destructive, horrible people. So, um, and, um, so yeah, so that, and of course that movie is super, has all this fucked up anti-capitalist commentary in it. That's yeah. just amazing. Um, Cause Malcolm McDowell starts the movie wanting to be this super successful coffee salesman and immediately gets sucked into all this evil stuff as he rises to the top and then is quickly destroyed by, I think it's Ralph Richardson. Um, mm -hmm. So, but so. Yeah, no, it's a great film. It is a great film. I, I don't know. I always I lean a little bit more towards if, but uh, um, more into anarchy. I, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I like I like straight. I like ninety minute movies that have straight lines. Oh, you do. <laughs> well, if doesn't have that straight line at the I, end. Well, it kind. Of, well, no, but that, it does. It does. It's just you just don't see it coming, and by the time you're done, you can draw a straight line from A to B. Yeah. But uh, uh, another uh, movie. No one would even show on TV today. Yeah. Like, like we're going to end a movie with people shooting up their school. And they're yeah. good guys. Yeah. <laughs> they're heroes. Yes. Yeah. I don't even know if you could show rock and roll <laughs> high school now. Right? Like, you know. Yeah, you're blowing things up. That's true. Yeah. God, that'd be a fun, a fun triple feature of that. Rock and roll high school and, and Heathers would be. Uh, yeah. Like movies to get you into trouble. Yeah. 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 yeah society does not let you <laughs> do that anymore. <laughs> yeah. I've, I read all that stuff about people being really like young younger millennials watching did you read this about they watched heathers and they were like what is this movie it's awful no yeah like they just were like oh no there was one guy who wrote a thing yeah 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 i i um no i was because because dan waters wrote heathers is a good friend um yeah there was some some millennial wrote a piece just tearing it apart but yeah um the, the sequel to it was uh all the other millennials on twitter just demolishing him for oh, really? attacking their favorite movie yes yeah, so yeah. It, it worked out okay okay yeah <laughs> yeah it's hard to tell who's just and the twitterverse is just writing something to get everyone else upset so yeah exactly exactly it's uh, time to cancel wizard of oz <laughs> click click, click, uh, click i'll get to that in a second uh, okay uh, um it's problematic, Julie. I, of course. Um, <laughs> all right. One more. Ready? For sure. Me? Yeah. Um, you know, we, we have all these um, jukebox musicals coming out, whether it's like the Queen movie or on Broadway, every single thing was. Right. But I realized my, one of my favorite movies that I watch every year is like probably the first great jukebox musical, which is Amadeus. Are we going to appall you with something confidential and disgusting? Let's hope so because that is what you really like. Unconfessed crimes of buried wickedness. If that is what brings you to us, the prospect of hearing horrors, you shall not go unrewarded. I don't believe it. The whole city is talking. You hear it all over. What a story. What a scandal. What a comedy. What a tragedy. Incredible. I don't believe it. Who can believe it? What horrors have you heard? Tell us. Tell us. Tell us at once. Pretty much... Like, I don't know, almost every time I've got brought a project, I think of Amadeus and like, how can I try and be as smart as Amadeus? And, and so when I wrote For the Love of a Glove, I pretty much was like Michael Jackson's Mozart and Donny Osmond's the villain in it. And he's right. Salieri. Salieri, of course. Yeah. And, um, and, and he's the one 
making the evil deal with his evil religion to have success. And you could actually just remake Amadeus with Michael Jackson, Tommy without, yeah, yeah. without doing much to it. Yeah, yeah. that's interesting. <laughs> and um and you know, and Amadeus it, you know, and I consider being against God a political statement. And I think it's it's not an atheist movie. It's an anti-theist movie. It's pretty much saying yeah. God is awful and, <laughs> and he's a dick and, um, and he's not fair. And, and I just think that's such a powerful, you know, statement and movie. And, and I've got, um, actually it's my girlfriend's copy. So it's kind of what made me really fall in love with her is, um, she has like the, the director's cut, which is, you know, got an extra 25 minutes of, we watched the original cut. We were like, none of this, the director's cut stuff actually needs to be in there. Like, we're like, <laughs> my girlfriend's a big believer in the studio cut over uh -huh. the director's cut. She's like, sometimes the studio cut's better. And, um, yeah, but I don't know. I just, we love even all the unnecessary stuff we love in it. And, um, and it's just so well-written and I got, I've scoured the internet trying to find a video of the original stage per production because because oh. it had tim curry starring in it and i can't even imagine tim curry as amadeus that just sounds too incredible to me that's amazing yeah yeah and uh, and then there was a version with david suchet on stage with david suchet hercule perot mm -hmm. plays salieri which intrigues me um like i just i wish they would remake amadeus every five years with new people because <laughs> i think it's like i saw at south coast rep a version a few years ago and once again it was great but it was like everyone had a completely different take on the characters and and in this one Salieri had a really good sense of humor like he really he was like not Milos Forman's Salieri at all um I'm spacing on the actor's name um uh Murray F. Murray Abraham F. Murray Abraham yeah. who's just so pompous yeah. this guy really had a sense of humor about how fucked he got by God. It was how, just um, chuckling. Through. I've never seen the, the 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 show. How how close to uh, the play is the movie? It's pretty close. Yeah. It's it's got some changes, and I can't remember. I've read the play a bunch of times, and now I can't well, remember what they are. It's got some different stuff. With the weird stuff is Peter Schaefer. Every like ten years would rewrite it, and like. And like have a revelation and it would have different i think it had three different endings or something which is pretty bold and um and but you know the central themes are all the same right. and but this one like the guy who played salieri actually i like better than amadeus because the guy who played amadeus played him as kind of like this dumb surfer guy and and you're just like you really like salieri better in that version than you do in in the movie where you really like tom hulse and um so yeah it's i i think it's intelligence is something that once again you don't see too often in movies yeah. too many notes <laughs> yeah too many notes no, no i but stay away from the director's cut you're saying no i love the director's oh, cut. oh okay yeah. no, his girlfriend doesn't like your it. girlfriend okay. she likes it too but she admits those 20 minutes do not those that they cut 20 minutes it. yeah doesn't hurt yeah the movie like it does not have well, to those be things, it's so often it's like it's when when did the director cut it is the is the important question too uh -huh. you know are we looking at the director's cut they made 15 years later after they've 
gotten tired of looking at it or was it wrestled from their hands by the studio and fucked up. I mean, it's, yeah, yeah, it doesn't always, uh, I love the co-runs, but the, the director's cut of Blood Simple is three minutes shorter than the <laughs> uh, actual, <laughs> the theatrical role. Yeah, no, I, I saw my first movie and I was just like, and I remember how hard it was to cut it down. And then I watched it again, I was like, I would cut another 30 minutes out of yeah. this movie. This movie should be an hour long, <laughs> not an hour and a half. I was like, God damn it. So like there was a, obviously the first, it was like an indie movie. So the first thing was the director's cut, but now the older, wiser director's cut would cut half that's, an hour. At least you, yeah, but you should announce that that's what it is. Yeah, so exactly. Is, yeah. Did you, cause I heard you talk about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Did you go see the, the extra long version? I don't believe I, no, I have not seen the extra long version. Okay. What's, what happens? I don't know because oh. <laughs> I, I understood that the extra long version ha has stuff at the end. It's just more stuff at the end. Oh, it's more, not like more, it. more commercials and oh, is that just yeah? I it's not in between. Not, I apparently like the, who, who are the famous actors who were cut out of it. Um, oh, uh, yeah, there were some folks. Uh, but that, uh, Tim that, Roth, Tim Roth, but that, but Tim, those scenes are not in there. So oh, okay. uh, apparently, it's uh, well, it's like, like a five-hour version. It's like a marketing play. Oh, really? On Netflix is my understanding. Oh. Breaking up into a series, which yeah, uh, have we talked about that? I mean, I, I had the weirdest. You know, the first time I saw it, I was like, I, mm -hmm. I, I remember, you know, fucking Brad Pitt going to Panama City, just endless. Mm -hmm. And for some reason, I watched it again while my wife was out. Uh -huh. uh, it was on the Academy streaming channel, and I just, I just want to see the first five minutes of it for yeah. some reason. And ended up watching the entire movie again and loving it because mm -hmm. it was like I had no expectation of it going anywhere. Yeah. It does finally, but I, and, and I remember the moment I realized how much the expectation and everything had changed when I'm watching the film was I now, and this is only a month later, I now wanted Brad Pitt to take longer to drive <laughs> to Panama city. So yeah. I thought, okay. So it's, 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 it's about what you go in expecting to some degree. Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, no plot. Um, yeah. Which, but the best yeah. thing is I saw it with my friends, Johnny and Barbara and Barbara's check. And, um, and she saw the completely different movie than anyone else because she'd never heard of the Manson family and didn't know there was any. Well, that's the, other, yeah, there's people who don't know that. Yeah. <laughs> and so like, I'm sitting there where they're at Spawn Ranch, like on pins and needles. And I'm trying to like flash back to eighth grade when I read Helter Skelter. I'm right. like, I'm like, did they kill a, a stunt man? Is there something? Yeah. <laughs> like, 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 I knew they killed someone at Spawn Ranch at right. some point. And I was like, are they going to kill Brad Pitt? Are they going to kill him? And then when he got out there, I was like, oh God, thank goodness. And. <laughs> And yeah. but like the first time you see Charlie, you're just like, oh, Charlie. And yeah. she was like, okay, who's that guy? That guy? And then yeah. like, and then like at the end, they, they all get, you know, I, I guess I can ruin the movie for anyone in this, but whatever the ending is. Quentin, Quentin does not like when people spoil movies on podcasts. I happen to know that from personal experience. Okay. <laughs> well, <laughs> the ending to her did not seem like a surprise. It did not seem like a surprise because. Well, because she didn't oh, think her. of those, she didn't think of those people as evil because she didn't know what the backstory was. She didn't know who Sharon Tate was or Charles Manson because she grew up in in Prague during communist era. And right. Like, you know, like, well, then, like, when you then you might say this is not a movie for her, or it's more interesting. Or <laughs> it's like, more, yeah, I mean, there's plenty of people loving the film who don't know any of that. So yeah, kind of. I mean, on my new musical for the love of glove, you know, um, it's also kind of an alternative history of Michael with like this imagined Michael was a good guy and the gloves were the bad guys. And, um, and we've had 20 year olds who just, you know, are just like, I have no idea about, they've heard of Michael Jackson cause he died. They've heard songs. They've heard. Well, we had one person who was a guy in his seventies 
who came with like one of our producer's family. And it was like, I don't really know Michael Jackson. I think I saw him on Ed Sullivan one time. <laughs> and, you know, like, <laughs> so he had a different experience than like yeah. all of us who get like, <laughs> what, what that experience, experience is. Yeah. He's like a linguistics professor. So he probably was like so intellectual. He was just like, well, I don't Wasn't see paying attention to yeah popular culture. Uh, yeah. And our 20 year olds are like, now why are the elephant man's bones in the script? Like, you know, like, you know, like, you know, what's this about like sleeping in a hyperbaric chamber? Cause they have no idea what's true or not. Right. And one of our cast members, Tracy Dory, who's plays Jermaine Jackson is 21 years old and he'd never heard of the Osmonds. And I played him one bad apple, which is an exact ripoff of the Jackson yes. five sound. And he just started screaming in anger. He just like, he was like <laughs> I thought you made this up. This is ridiculous. <laughs> and oh so it's fun. Just like, you know, yeah. like, cause Amadeus, like how many of us knew all this stuff about Amadeus? Cause right. and right. And the other great thing about Amadeus going back to it is it's the perfect metaphor for working in Hollywood. Um, <laughs> And too many notes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I read the biography. Literally too many notes. Yeah. Cause the emperor, the emperor is the studio exec giving you the stupid notes. Right. And, um, and I read the biography of Mozart's lyricist who wrote, you know, Don Giovanni's lyrics and stuff. And he was this awesome Italian. He was an Italian poor kid who was really smart. So he, the only way to get an education was to become a priest. Um, so he became a priest and started writing poetry and then lyrics and because he couldn't become a prize fighter as you see, yeah. <laughs> become a priest. Or a prize fighter. <laughs> yeah. And, um, but he loved fucking women. So he, you know, he was always getting in trouble cause he was fucking every woman he could. And, but he got driven crazy by studio notes on all these operas, <laughs> which came from the crowd. And you just like, you read it and you're just like. No, they're not going to give him notes on, you know, <laughs> on, th on this one, like, you know, and, um, and you're like, yep, there's the Don Giovanni notes from the emperor. And then like, you know, <laughs> um, and so can he have a dog? Man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, and I was just like, nothing's changed. It's like, it was the same shit. It's 1790, you know, God damn it. it's just like, it's really shocking when you read this stuff. So. And finally, he gave up, moved to America, and opened a grocery store. It was like, I can't take it anymore. So, you know. Um, but, oh, that's so depressing. Yeah. That's so depressing. So. Um, you like to think there's hope for, you know. No, there's no hope. Things getting better. The, the power always. Abandon hope, all you who uh, Yeah. So if I we're think, teaching you anything this week. <laughs> I think, you know, every day I'm like, if there was money in spoken word poetry, like, you know, then you wouldn't have to raise money. You wouldn't have to get notes. You just go to the coffee shop you, <laughs> and you're done. So, um, and, and, oh, um, okay. Here's one. I think I'll stump you guys on. Um, so you've seen that's entertainment, mm -hmm. right? Which and two and three. Yeah. Well, what if there is that's entertainment, but for Soviet communist musicals and there is a documentary called East side story that I love. That's right. Have you seen I, it? I've got, a, I've got a DVD of it. Oh, yeah, hey, there you go. Have you seen Circus? I was like, do I talk Can't about that or, or Circus, which is an early 30s Soviet musical? Uh, that I haven't seen. Okay, so it's in that movie. And after, so the East Side Story is a documentary about. And it's the same format, musical. basically, as that's entertainment. It's yeah. All, it's all it's clips just... from, you know, Soviet era um, entertainments. And, and I love them all because all the early Soviet ones have these 
political messages and they're all like and the musicals are like the happy tractor drivers and stuff like you know <laughs> and they're all very much like you know about working people and stuff and any side story it's weird all the 30s stuff is really great then you go to the, like the 50s east german musicals or 60s actually there's one that's um got it's the opening sequence of east side story and it's it's really great but it's lost all the politics um it's just it's just a musical that takes place in east germany and i love seeing you know i love the you know or especially like seeing this world that you don't have any idea what it's like because it's so simplified in america like in this movie circus which is like a 1932 musical which i just watched again it's on amazon prime and um and people are living in these art deco apartments in like communist you know soviet union and um but it's um about this american woman and it starts in america and she's running holding a baby while a crowd is screaming they want to kill her and she jumps on a train just as the crowd's about to kill her and that's like the, the the tease and then suddenly she's in the circus in russia and she works with this german guy who wears um it's almost got a little bit of freaks to it too he is like um runs her act and he looks like this big guy but then when he leaves the stage she takes off his jacket and he's got this vest that he puffs up with air to make <laughs> himself look big and basically the act one you keep seeing like he keeps saying she doesn't want to be with him and he's blackmailing her into being his lover and at the end of the first act you find out that the baby you saw her running with that you never saw the baby is mixed race and um uh-huh. and he's just blackmailing her saying i will let everyone know you had sex with a black man and destroy your life and she ends up falling in love with starting to learn about communism and how great russia is and um and wants to stay in russia and um and the german guy keeps blackmailing her to leave and she falls in love with this other guy there's a bunch of comic twists but at the end he decides to reveal who she is and he brings out her kid mm-hmm. who's at that point like four years old and it's kind of crazy when you think about russia today like the most racist fucking place but basically the the crowd steals the kid from him and they start singing this is the end of the movie i hope uh. it's not running is this lullaby <laughs> to the kid to help it sleep mm-hmm. and and then the the evil german guy runs up to try and grab the baby from each person and they just pass it to the next person who sings the lullaby in a different language of the soviet union so like one person singing russian the next person is singing it in yiddish like you're like right. that sounds like german and they look jewish then like it passes to like an asian person who sings it then passes it to a black person who sings it and and he's just like why aren't you upset and they're like we in the soviet union don't care about race yeah them them, them commies were way more enlightened than we were yeah then. yeah yep. and the happy ending is like all the people sing together like they don't care about race they were you know one people fighting and what year's the film 32 30 <laughs> i mean it's <laughs> think about yeah <laughs> wow same year as freaks yeah and it's got all that kind of like, like those early '30s movies still have all that silent cinema-like photography, where it's just like really bold, weird choices in terms of like framing and angles. So, so 
Anyway, so that's and, and circus, circus a movie you will not hear discussed at any uh, other Yeah, podcast. probably not. Mm-hmm. Um, and that parts of that are uh, it's referenced in East Side Story. It, yeah, basically, I saw East Side Story, and then I went on eBay and found a guy who this is back in the day who sold VHSs of, um, and I think they came from Poland, and I was Can ordering you look for either of them today. Are they? There a bunch of them you can find on Amazon now, but back yep. in back in the day, it was going on eBay finding a guy in Poland who would send you a VHS uh, to watch them. So, um, but yeah, there's a few on Amazon for sure, including Jolly Fellows and um, Volga Volga, and yeah, and I don't know. I just I I love that kind of weirdness where you get to see a totally different culture, but it's a musical and. So it has something you know, but then it's got weirdness. So it's got subtitles. Yeah, subtitles. (laughs) So, um, you okay with that? That's fine with me. I just, it's hard to watch with no subtitles. Yes, I cannot. Oh, yeah, you can get it used on Amazon for. uh, uh, That is East Side Story. Yeah. Um. Um. So, another movie that really influenced me that i think is also political and it's um and i was lucky enough to see it in college because one of my best friends chris ivanko went his brother went to school with todd haynes and produced was superstar the karen Karen carpenter story and um if anyone hasn't seen it it's gotta be on youtube right i think it is um you can't see it legally legitimately yes so but it's karen carpenter's life story told with barbie dolls yes and that was one of, and obviously my new musical is done with a lot of puppets. Yeah. And, um, and that was one of the like formative experiences being like, whoa, you, you could do this. Like <laughs> you're, you can comment on a celebrity, you know, make fun, but also like really be compassionate to what they went through and deal with gender politics and was like, and, and do it all with Barbie dolls. And well, you can almost do it. Yeah, yeah, except for <laughs> except for Richard Carpenter, not like you used to. Yeah, music. except for being able to sell it. Ever. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I've seen other people make movies with dolls, and they always turn out terribly. Like they're just mm. like, "Oh, I made, you know, someone else's story with dolls," and you're just like, you try it, you get bored like seven minutes in, and <laughs> for some reason, I don't know how Todd Haynes did it, but yeah. the whole movie's fascinating. It's great. Yeah, it's great. just watching Barbie dolls with like no movable mouths or anything. <laughs> acting out Karen Carpenter's story. And it's just such a great commentary on like what women are taught in terms of beauty is, you know, obviously I, and I've seen a lot of bad art with Barbie dolls too. Like where you're just like, yeah, we get it. We get it. Like, yeah, Barbie dolls are presenting an unhealthy image of femininity to women, but with Karen Carpenter, it makes sense. So, um, so that's another movie, um, that, Scarred me. Scarred you. Yeah, yeah. scarred me. Um, oh, I'm almost done. Um, I'm almost at number nine. Um, number nine. Number nine. Number nine. Um, and I watched this one again last night, and I watched the director's cut, which was not as good as the original cut, which is Space is the Place. Um, have you seen that? No, you mentioned it. Is that the Sun Ra movie? Yeah, the Sun Ra movie. Oh, God. I knew the editor. She was editing it down the, down the hall. No way. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> So for people who don't know, who's, do you guys Assume, know Sunrise? Most yes. people don't, I don't think, remember Sunrise. It's so sad. No, no, he was putting out like 10 records a year on his own label. Like, um, they were just like, he was he was churning them out. Yeah. 
I mean, but so, nobody was listening. No, problem. no one was listening. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, well, except like people like the MC5 and and the Stooges. Yeah, the Stooges all loved Sun Ra. And so, 1993. I don't know what's wrong with me. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So for people who don't know, Sun Ra was this jazz musician who was born in Alabama named Sonny Blunt. And at some point in the 50s, he realized that he wasn't from Earth. He was from Saturn. And he started, and he went from being Sonny Blunt, Herman Sonny Blunt, to Sun Ra, spelled S-U-N-R-A. And he started wearing space clothes and Egyptian clothes, a combination of the two. And all his music was about being from outer space and um, and he just started writing like the most bizarre free jazz. Um, and he basically started his own cult because, and he was based in Philly. So I don't know if you knew yeah. that. He no, yeah, absolutely. For a long That's, time. He was, he was, he played a lot of clubs there. And I, there was, I remember there was a moment when I realized that Sun Ra was not, uh, just a local band. Uh-huh. You know, cause there's all these bands there and you're like, and yeah, no one knows who these guys are. And then you realize that people if not all over the world, at least there are people around the world who yeah. are familiar and, and following him. Yeah. Yeah. So he, you know, by the fifties, everyone's like a giant orchestra doesn't make financial sense. Yeah. <laughs> like, like the Benny Goodman days are over and Sun Ra was like, Nope, I'm going to have the Sun Ra orchestra. orchestra yes. And so he always had like 15 to 20 people in his band, which for a band that's not very popular is financially <laughs> a really bad idea. And they all lived in a house in Philly together yeah. that one of the members' mom let them do. And he basically, the guys were not allowed to leave the house. They just had to rehearse 12, 14 hours a day and do nothing else. They weren't allowed to have sex. They weren't like allowed to like do drugs. And it was all about the music. But amazing musicians would end up joining the orchestra and say, like, I've never learned more about music than mm. working with Sun Ra. And he developed his own philosophies and and I guess at, in the 60s, someone brought him to Berkeley to give these lectures. And his philosophies are very bizarre. And, um, and, they're, they're, and he like speaks in like these weird Zen koans that are great. And someone saw him and said, let's make a movie, a black exploitation movie starring Sun Ra. And so Sun Ra was like, sure. And he's really weird. You can't tell how. So it's not a doc. It's a not film. a documentary. And. Um, and it's basically, it's got a little bit of Jodorowsky about in it. It's got a little Ingmar Bergman. It's Sun Ra. So Sun Ra, the, the, the Bergman part is Sun Ra is playing cards, but it's like with tarot cards against the overseer, um, who's this like very dapper black guy who um, basically is a stand-in for like the, the you know, the successful political black man who like you know works for the community um but is obviously evil and also and the weird thing is i watching the director's cut there's a whole subplot that seems to make him almost be a pimp and it was written by a white guy so i think the white guy was seeing all these other black exploitation movies like the bad guy has to be a pimp and in the sun rock cut he cut out all the pimp stuff and the gratuitous nudity and um and I love gratuitous nudity, but I'm actually, this was one where it's like, yeah, I didn't need it. And so it's basically, they're in this field playing this game for who will control the black community and um, the evil overseer or Sun Ra. And, um, and, and Sun Ra, like, 
So Sunrise, when the movie begins, he's disappeared for like five years and he shows up in his spaceship on Earth to come to help liberate black people. And and NASA is freaking out by it. They're like, we don't want this happening. And he's saying he's going to take all black people away from America and take them to, to like his own planet where they can live freely. And it's just, it's really political. And it's just like really fucked up like to think about like, because he keeps saying like, we black people just have to leave earth. It's just like, there's no way we're ever going to get justice. We have to find our own planet and live there. And, but then he says these weird poetic things. Like he's, going around to youth centers and talking to people. He's like, are you happy? And they're like, we're not happy. He's like, that's because you're not listening. He goes, every one of us is a musical instrument. And if you're not playing the proper music, you're not, um, you know, aligning with the, 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 the like astral chord progressions that you need to be in. And his spaceship is powered by free jazz. So he has to play free jazz to, to fly a spaceship. And NASA wants to find out how it works and he won't tell them. <laughs> and, um, and it's heavy. It's beautiful. It's got all this depth. It's got like his weird sense of humor. Cause he starts his own employment agency called like the interplanetary employment agency where he's trying to get people to leave earth with him. And I mean, the only thing I can compare it to in weirdness even though it's weirder, it's like P.D. Wheatstraw, the devil's son-in-law. Like, it's got that whole like, you know. And where did you see this recently? I have the DVD. Oh, you um, have the DVD. There's actually a friend of mine, David Katz Nelson, re-released it with like a giant book of archival photos, and and it's got that early '70s color, where it's just like, oh, it's just it's beautiful, yeah. So, um, so. Awesome. Well, I can't believe you guys have not yeah, seen no, Space as a Place. There. Yeah, I'm just looking at the thing here. It's it's uh, science fiction, black exploitation, free jazz. Yeah. I'm in. Yeah. <laughs> and the Sun Rock Cut is only 62 minutes, which is... Oh, I'm really in. Which is really like... I watched an hour and a half cut last <laughs> night, and I was like, hmm. I mean, it's... Yeah. It's ambling and weird, and like some points you're like, okay, let's get back to Sun Ra doing weird stuff. Um, um and um so and then i'll end with the obvious one the one that like probably was the first musical i saw which is the wizard of oz and um nope nope you nope. haven't seen it nope. <laughs> i stumped you again nope not allowed to do that yeah <laughs> and you know and years ago i'd always thought there was a lot of politics in the wizard of oz and do you guys know about this stuff at all i've seen the film so <laughs> <laughs> It's basically Thomas Frank's What's the Matter with Kansas made into a movie. Come on. Like, uh, <laughs> you've got like, you just, you go to Kansas and right. it's miserable and black and white. And right. Dusty and a shithole and it's filled with terrible people. And the studio ending, of course, kind of ruins it even as a kid, the whole like, and then I woke up, I always thought it was stupid even as a kid. But yeah, who wanted to be back there when you could be? Yeah, who wants to go back there? But um, but I think it just really said like those black and white sequences say everything you can about like Kansas and how people there just say there's no place like home, but <laughs> there is. There is a lot better. Well, and there you are better, better places. There's a lot yeah. better places than like living on a dusty farm where you can't grow crops. But um, but and then like I feel like you know, the politics of it is really obvious. I mean, like, and 
for you, I was just thinking, my girlfriend was like, don't say this. People are going to think you're crazy. But I was just like, pretty much, it's like Donald Trump versus Hillary Clinton. It's like the Wicked Witch of the West. <laughs> and, 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 um, Wait, and, and, the, and the phony wizard. The phony wizard is <laughs> all pompous and it's just like full of shit. Wow. And, um, <laughs> and like, how prescient. Uh, you know, it's just like, or, you know, it's pretty much all American politics explained right there. That's hilarious. <laughs> and as I started looking into it, there was a lot of stuff in there that's, well, first of all, what you were saying about banning stuff, Falwell tried to ban the Wizard of Oz. Sure. Yeah. Because, and they were upset about it when it came out because it's like, there are no good witches. Right. And there was, and, um, and as I did more research into it, first of all, L. Frank Baum was a big feminist. His mother-in-law was a famous suffragette. And so the idea that you have this female heroine who triumphs, not by falling in love with Prince Charming or anything, you know, but just there's no love interest. Right. She succeeds. She's smarter than any of the dudes. Yeah. Um, and it turns out L. Frank Baum was a political writer before he became a children's storybook writer. And the guy who illustrated the books was a political cartoonist. And, um, and, you know, he never explicitly said it, but apparently it's all about um, politics in the 1890s. So basically, um, it's when William Jennings Bryan, there, the theory is that William Jennings Bryan is, is a lion. And basically, the scarecrow is the farmers of America right. um, fighting against the gold standard, which is the yellow brick road. The Tin Man is the industrial workers of America who've yeah. been like frozen in rust because they don't get any oil. They, and in the book, she's not wearing ruby slippers, which was invented for technical. Yeah. She was wearing silver slippers. Silver, yeah. And they're on the yellow brick road and they end up at the Emerald City, which is green dollars. And so it's like all a metaphor about the silver and gold fight going on in the 1890s. Um, and then... L. Frank Baum also was a theosophist who'd left Christianity. So it also deals with all these theosophical issues, which including that they all believe that religion, the original female-led religions, matriarchal religions were suppressed by making witches bad. So he restored witches to their power position. But in the end, the movie's really about don't trust, it's like don't trust leaders, don't feed parking meters, whatever it is, you know, like, it's like, you know, everyone's like, oh, the uh, great and wonderful Oz will fix it for you. And then you yeah. get to Washington, D.C. and the guy's full of shit. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta fix it yourself. Yeah. Yes. And, um, and he's a liar and he's gonna trick you into like getting killed, going into a war with the witch, you know, and, um, and I don't know, I think, I, I think it's, you can make a good case. That it's a very political movie. I think you can. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's funny. I, I hadn't thought about it. I, I grew up on those books. Oh, you uh, did? Okay. I was into them. And then I weirdly, uh, like 10 years ago, um, sold Warner Brothers a pitch for a sequel uh -huh. to Wizard of Oz that included, um, because Warner's owns you know, the MGM thing, so mm -hmm. we could use things like the Ruby Slippers and all the rest yeah. of that. And it just came out of a conversation. I did not walk into a room wanting to, you know, who does that? But it's funny because I, but the villain of the thing, and this is 2009, maybe, uh, was essentially Donald Trump. Uh -huh. um, he had, he had discovered a door in uh, his, his, his aunt was the, what's her name? The Wicked Witch. Yeah. And he had found amongst her things, he found a door to Oz. Yeah. 
and he was exploiting it. He wanted to turn it into a theme park. Uh-huh. And, and the, the sort of thing was, um, and as, as he destroys and industrializes Oz, uh, in our world, everybody's imagination starts to die. Uh-huh. And so Dorothy's granddaughter has to travel to Oz, get the band back together uh-huh. and, and go take down Donald Trump. Yeah. <laughs> That makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> more topical than ever. Yeah, uh, sadly. Um, yes. Well, you made a movie, I think, Joe, didn't you? With uh, I feel like there's a Trump. I made a movie about a character who is your... somewhat like <laughs> Donald Trump, the icon, the New York icon, not the yes. crazed lunatic. Who's we know was I, I had not seen Gremlins two in a while when he did that screening, and and uh, um, uh, it was much nicer to him than he deserved. Well, he was, <laughs> he was part, he was part Ted Turner also. Yes. So, so that was a mitigating, a mitigating factor. And then <laughs> the actor who played him, John Glover was just so likable. Yeah. It was like, there was no way this guy was going to really be the villain. So it's not, uh, it's not really a, uh, accurate representation yes. of Mr. Trump. Yeah. But- it's not too late for yeah. Gremlins three, the white house <laughs> yes. must be done. <laughs> yeah. I never liked, happening as you speak. Yeah. I never liked like all those Disney movies where like the princess has to fall in love with the prince. So I think, yeah, you know, everyone's like going crazy for frozen. Did you ever see the Walter Murch uh, version? The, uh, Return yeah, of Oz. Oz. I never did. Oh, it's wonderful. Is it good? Very yeah. interesting. Yeah, uh-huh. It's dark, but it's, it was a huge disaster. No, yeah. I remember it being a disaster. Ruined his directing career. Yeah. But uh, it's seen today. It's a really very interesting movie. Yeah, I mean, I, it didn't. It didn't uh, crash for qualitative reasons. I mean, he just went to a very. It's so dark. Dark place. No, 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 no. He's got electric shock treatments. You know. So yeah. Really. Yeah. Because like, <laughs> <you know. laughs> yeah, she keeps talking about this place. Like, what's the matter with you? Uh huh. Yeah. It makes sense. The people from Kansas don't want to hear about Oz. They yeah. Care. They want to fucking. You're like, wait. There's a really beautiful place with like. Yeah. Wonderful stuff. And, um, and they're like, nope, nope, you're crazy. Yeah. But what's it, it is interesting. It's always fascinating how it's, you know, that movie works on every level. There's nothing wrong with it. And yeah, there's not, there's no romance. Yeah. There's no romance. There's, there's no love story. And- well, there's sort of a thing between her and the scarecrow. <laughs> <laughs> really? He, he's sort of. Yeah, but it, it's not a, it's not. No, a it's not. Smoochy, it's not a full blown. No, it's, it's not a full blown very, romance. But obviously, yeah. the she, she, he, she's he's the one that she relates to the most. Yes. Well, no, uh, she makes friends, but there's no, you know, there's no lovey dovey, and she is. Well, the, she's she the, one the outtakes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I always thought. Oh, this is a weird thing, but I, I, I go, I go. Thing. So I, I always <laughs> thought there was weirdness with the lollipop guild, like those oh, guys, yeah. and that uh, dance. That strange dance they do with the steps. Yeah. yeah. And um, and so years ago I was on a dating site and um and and you had to like say like uh sexiest scene in a movie. No, you didn't. And everyone said Mulholland Drive. Like it was just like it was Mulholland Drive, Mulholland Drive, Mulholland Drive, Mulholland Drive. I was like, ah oh, fuck. This is too obvious. And and I put two things. I said, um, when when the munchkins hug Dorothy <laughs> and um and Janet Lee in the motel in Touch of Evil. When <laughs> How'd that work out? Not for even you? in psycho. <laughs> <laughs> Not even in psycho, and it's the same yeah. motel. <laughs> well, in Touch of Evil, they've got all the, the Mexican lesbians. Right. Yeah. Mercedes McCambridge and her one day visit to the set. Yeah. Yeah. And um, you know what? It was a great filter because I got all the weirdos hitting on me and I <laughs> filtered out all the like norms. So like, like, and is no, this where you met your girlfriend? Or? 
no, no, oh, no. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Um, that was many years later, but but yeah, I just think there's a, he was a different person. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I just think there was some weird sexual like those guys are just really you could tell they're dirty where they're like we represent <laughs> the lollipop well, just like, apparently what, well, they were, stories, what they were up to yeah. in the building down the street was uh you know yes. pretty scandalous yeah so yeah. i mean who wouldn't make it scandalous right you know, yeah yeah so, someone needs to take another whack at that uh -huh. under the rainbow that story under yeah. the rainbow too <laughs> Just, I think there's a, not much chance of there being that, another. That didn't work. <laughs> Under the yeah, I suppose. I suppose. Uh, and apparently many of those stories were made up, like, you know. No. So, no? No. I don't know. No, I'm sorry. I don't want to hear that. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. So, yeah, I heard one podcast where you knew the last munchkin, right? Like <laughs> Joe did the last munchkin? No, no. You oh, he knew does the that? name of the last munchkin alive. I, it was Felix Sulla. Okay, yeah. And he passed away. Yeah. I worked oh. with him. There you go. There you oh. go. I yeah. know that the remainder, uh, whoever the, the the lollipop guild came out during the last writer's strike, the there were a few of them left. Was really, two thousand eight, and there was a big rally, and the lollipop guild came out to support the writers' <laughs> guild, <laughs> which we all thought was really nice. That's pretty nice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> solidarity. Yeah, <laughs> transdimensional solidarity. Yeah. Uh, well, Julian. Thank you. Thank you. It was fantastic, man. Yeah. I hope I <laughs> Thank did okay. you. Yeah, yeah, those are great. I've got to, I've got to I, track I, some of them down. I stumped you guys on two. That's, that's I, really good. I, yeah. Well, I, I'm easy to stump. It's, really? it's, so I will cut it out. It's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, know, I, I was like, know. I was like, do I go really, you know, obscure? And I was like, nah, you know. We, we like when you can find, when there's a shot at finding at least. Yeah. It, 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 obscure is great, but if it's completely lost to the ages, then it's kind of difficult to, yeah. you know, excite the viewership. But uh, but uh, like the Sun Ra movie, I think, you know, people will be able to find. Yeah. No, you can. Yeah, you can. It's on, it's on DVD. You know, we should have somebody come on and do 10 movies that don't actually exist. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. Yeah. <laughs> or I thought about like 10 movies, you know, starring musicians where it's just like, cause they don't, I feel like everyone should make one. Like the Spice Girls movie is good. Spice, yeah. Like, I don't know why. David Essex made two. Did he? Yeah, well, it's um, Stardust, Stardust and is, that'll the be the, is the sequel. That'll be the, day that'll day be the first there. one. What about the Dave Clark Five movie? Have you seen that? Uh, yeah, one? yeah. What's it called? The uh, uh, that's got two titles: uh, Having a Wild Weekend. Having a Wild Weekend. I have seen. That's that. the American title. Catch right. us if you can. I think is yes. It's sort of a travelogue, but it's yeah. uh, it's fun. And it's directed, Herman's Herman's. directed by what? John Borman. John Borman, yeah. which is so weird. Like you're just like, and you watch it. I, I saw it like in high school and I was just like, I love the Dave Clark five. I was like, this is good. I bet this will be better than hard days night. And it was, it it's, <laughs> it's really serious and weird. And I like, kind of dull. And dull, yeah. dull. There's, um, uh, Oh God. Slade. Did Slade it's, make their own movie. It's a really good film. It's, it's really? This, yeah. You can find it. There's a British, uh, DVD that you can get. If you get the soundtrack album, it comes with the movie. And I'm really? Slade in fire. I think it's called. And, um, yeah, it's, it's really sort of gritty kind of adventures of a grimy working class band. And it's, it's shockingly good. Wow. And, I can um, find that. Uh, yeah, it's worth looking for, but yeah, that's an interesting subgenre. Like Kiss after. meets the phantom. Uh, well, yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> like I thought like that would be my other choice. Or how about like, actors in movies that are musicians in movies where they're not playing musicians. That like Man Who Fell to Earth or what? Sure. Man Who Fell to Earth or um, Man from Elysian Fields, I guess. There's uh, a Ned Kelly. Yeah, well, there's a bunch of musicians. The Oscar, but no, no, but I think the ones where it's the <laughs> band, <laughs> where the band plays 
themselves right. in a story, which is that's all. Yeah, or playing themselves, they just change the name. Uh huh. Like what? Oh, I'm like like uh, well, the slave movie. They're not playing slave. Well, the Chico, not slave. Isn't Chico Hamilton's quintet is they, aren't they in the um, Sweet Smell of Success? Uh, yeah, but I don't believe that Martin Miller was actually a member of. The no, he's, Chico he's the ringer. He's the ringer. But the rest of them, <laughs> the Fred, rest of them, are... Fred Katz is in it. Fred yeah. Katz used to do the music for Roger Corman for right. you know Bucket of Blood and uh, or what's the uh, oh, God, I just saw too is it All Night Long the um, yeah that's a great British picture. one. There's a great that's uh, a terrific. It's, it's Patrick McGowan's remake of Othello in the <gasps> world of you've seen that. 50s. Oh, it's really I have it on Blu-ray, man. Really, and, is it good? And, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's real yeah, jazz. Just uh, look up the trailer on Trailer Somehow. Okay. Yeah. Only long because years ago I read Jerry Lee Lewis book. Um, uh, oh yeah, Natasha's he, book because mm-hmm. he was he was obsessed with Othello or something, right? No, no. In it happened at the Amundsen. Crazily enough, there's a poster if you go in the Amundsen. Um, well, it's not called. What did you say it was called? It was All Night Long. Is the Patrick McGowan one, but it's a different. But it's Othello, right? Yeah. Yeah. I thought it had a different title, like um, something. I forget something spirit, but hmm. um, but. It was originally a stage play. Oh, no, this was, I know what you're thinking of, though, when Jerry Lee Lewis plays Iago. Iago, right? yeah. Yes, I remember this. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I just was like. I, and I would kill to see that. I would kill to see it. And apparently in the Nick Tasha's book, they mentioned that he was on the Steve Allen show singing as Iago, which was like the greatest which you could only do on the Steve Allen show. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, here's Jerry Lee Lewis as Iago. Yeah. I was like, that is 14 God, minutes of acid right there. Like. <laughs> But there's but Patrick McGowan directed a movie based That's on That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. it's what's amazing, it's not just so you know, it doesn't just move to England in the fifties. Uh-huh. Um, it takes place in one night. Uh-huh. Uh, it's just this one Nah, he's talking about a different picture. Yeah, he's talking about something else. I'm talking about the McGowan. Well was did Jerry Lewis think uh, it filmed? Yeah, there's there's all there's all night long as one movie. Right. But then there's another movie. That's a yeah, with, that's with what, the that's, musical version of Othello. Oh, Othello. Yeah, that's something that's, else. That that's, Patrick McGowan directed. McGowan directed it. Oh, wait. Oh, oh. Yeah. Good God. Yes. Which I've also, um, <laughs> I've also seen and have on Blu-ray. God help me. Yeah, it's terrible. With um, <laughs> Richie Havens. Okay, yeah. And I can't remember what it's called, and it's not. It's, it's like Catch Us If You Can. It's, it's yeah. Like, it's it's like it's catch, catch, catch My Soul. Catch My Soul. Catch My Soul. Catch My Soul. Yeah. Catch my soul. And How it's, do I know it's, this? It's yeah. interminable. How have I seen both of these? I saw it. I, I, it was a Cinerama release. I saw it when it came out. I had to review it. Um, I actually, yeah, we did it on my weekly movie night last year. It's two weeks. We did both Patrick McGo and Othello films. And that's how memorable the first one is. I'd forgotten completely. But the other one's good. The other one's really good. It's really good. Okay. Yeah. yeah, So the the one I wanted to see is terrible. So two hours are saved of my life. Oh God. It's just, it's terminable. It's It's Patrick McGo. It's like outtakes from Jesus Christ Superstar. I don't like Jesus Christ Superstar. (laughs) Yeah. But, uh. Thanks for coming. Yeah. Thanks for coming. Let's go down another rabbit hole sometime. That was fun. Our show was recorded in beautiful downtown Burbank. The official podcast of TrailersFromHell.com, the best damn movie website there is. Our engineer is the composer Don Barrett, who also transmogrified, produced, and created our theme song. This is Josh Olson for the movies that made me. Some think I'm just a god, but they don't know how wrong they are. I'm the bad motherfucker. Jackson, the world's greatest superstar. Some think I'm just a club, but they don't know how wrong they are. I'm the bad motherfucker who made Michael Jackson the world's greatest superstar. The world's greatest superstar.
As a long-time foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts.